Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. On this episode of Pondering Scripture, we're going to continue our study of profitable paradoxes, where we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The first profitable paradox we looked at was found in verse 8 of the text. We discussed last week the paradox of honor and dishonor, and this week we're going to be considering that Paul says, by evil report and good report, and also as deceivers and yet true. We might remember the context of 2 Corinthians 6. We looked at that at some length in the previous episode of Pondering Scripture, and so we'll not do it again if you did not listen to that first episode in this topical series of Profitable Paradoxes. I encourage you to listen to that episode and gain the context, but just for a reminder, in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians and verse 3, the Apostle Paul shows what he was doing as he was trying to gain the trust back from his Corinthian readers. He said in verse 3, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And then he continues this list, and it's by about verse 8 that he starts to speak of things which are paradoxical in nature. And while he's defending his own ministry, these things all relate to our lives as Christians, and so we're looking at them. They're called paradoxes because they seem obviously contradictory, but when we think of things in a spiritual light, we know that they're not contradictory, but they were are profound truths, especially for those who are Christians. And if we don't understand these paradoxes and we don't understand that although the contrast between the spiritual and physical is great, that nonetheless the substance is spiritual and it is the best thing that we can look at and think about, if we don't understand that, then we're going to have a hard time being Christians. And it's already hard enough as it is. We discussed last week by honor and dishonor. If we don't go into our lives as disciples of Christ with the understanding that we will be dishonored by the world, even though our honor is in Christ, and we don't we don't fully realize the substance is what Christ looks at us as and, and the honor we'll receive from Him, then we're going to be greatly discouraged. And so I hope these paradoxes that Paul speaks and us putting them into a light of of context that we can glean wisdom from as Christians and apply to our lives. I hope that it's helpful. I uh, hope that it's encouraging, and I hope that it can help you in your life as you're seeking to live for Christ. I want us to notice this first paradox of the episode. Paul, in defending his ministry, says he commends himself as a minister of God by evil report and good report. Paul made it very clear what his character was in his epistle to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. He said to them, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The Apostle Paul lived in such a way, is 
he says, as being devout and just and blameless. And everything he did was out of love, as a father loves his children. That was true with the Thessalonians. It was true, of course, with with the Corinthians. It was true in his relationship with the young man named Timothy, who was an evangelist of, of God's Word. And, and he had a proven, genuine, godly character. But you know, Paul was one of the most hated men by those outside of the church in the first century. And it even carried into his relationships with those who were members of the church. We see that apparent in the context of 2 Corinthians how they were kept from him by their own passions and by their own desires. They're restricted by their own affections, he says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. They were allowing themselves to be deceived by false teachers, and even though Paul's character is vastly proven throughout his life and in his epistles and actions that are recorded for us by the Holy Spirit, and they knew these, knew these things, he still was having that kind of conflict with his own brethren that he loved dearly in Corinth. And so the point is, it doesn't matter how righteous a person is. It doesn't matter if we're doing everything right as a disciple of Christ. We've got to expect people to give evil reports on us, whether it's through rumors or gossip or whatever it may be or they're saying it directly to us, or they're just thinking it in their mind. It doesn't matter how closely we're following the Scriptures. People are going to malign us for doing that. They'll dishonor us, like we talked about in our previous episode. But they'll give evil report of us to others and to themselves, even though we're doing everything like the Word of God says we ought to be doing it. Consider that with the Apostle Paul. We looked at a few things last week with regard to the context of 2 Corinthians, some false charges, or we could say evil reports, that the false apostles in the Corinthian presence were accusing him of. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he addresses this evil report of him being duplicitous, of him being two-faced, if you will, of him making plans and never truly expecting himself to fulfill them, but tricking the Corinthians in some way to maybe gain advantage over them. I want us to notice in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, though, that that was not true. He says, our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Especially notice that word he says, that he conducted themselves and the world in simplicity. That word simply means singleness. He was directly referring to the charge of duplicity in that verse, saying that that's an evil report that isn't true. And so he's defending himself. Notice in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, he says, We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity and as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. He said in chapter 4 and verse 2, as we looked at last week, that they had renounced the hidden things of shame, not, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so he was charged by evil report 
by of of peddling the word of God, of preaching for for the sake of dishonest and material gain. And that certainly was not true. And really it's it's interesting that it didn't matter what he did because of the influence of the false teachers in Corinth, he couldn't win in this situation. He kind of looked at that same kind of charged in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 7, and he says this, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? He says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. Notice he's between a rock and a hard place with the, the Corinthians at this time. And so some were chiming in to the Corinthians and saying that Paul is peddling the word of God. All he does is he wants your money. Paul thought it would burden the gospel if he received support from them. We read a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians 9. And so, lest he burden them and therefore burden the gospel that he was preaching to them, he didn't accept funds from them. He didn't accept support from them financially. But then he goes across and he he does receive support from other congregations. He mentioned it right there in this context that he did receive support from Macedonia. And so where they would have said he is he's sinning or he's not doing right, he's taking advantage of us from receiving report, uh, support from us, he said, did I sin by not receiving support from you? Did I commit sin by humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? And so now the false teachers evidently are having an influence on the Corinthians and saying, since he refuses support from you, he's belittling you. He's demeaning you. You see, he can't win. Paul did nothing wrong. He was a righteous man. He did carry himself devoutly and without blame. Yet, even though he should have been receiving good reports, people were reporting evil things about him. You see, we can learn from this that if even the great apostle Paul, as faithful and devout as he was, as much as he loved Christ and loved the brethren in Christ, that he was spoken of by evil report. If he was, don't you think we will be in this world full of sin? In 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, Peter writes by inspiration that we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He says, stop living in sin like you used to live in sin. Stop participating with the world. No longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, like Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2. But this is going to receive a negative reaction by many in the world. After he told them, you've spent enough of your past lifetime doing these things, he says, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. They think it strange. But it's not just that they look at you with a perplexed countenance, but they think it's strange and they speak evil of you, verse 4 says of 1 Peter 4. You know, some in the world can't stand the fact that the character of another 
will condemn their own character. That's what the scripture says Noah did when he built the ark, when he was preaching righteousness to the people, that he brought the flood in on the world of the ungodly, that he condemned the world with his actions of faith. And I guarantee you, he received a lot of persecution for that. Those 120 years that he had to build the ark and preach righteousness before the world was destroyed, they weren't easy years. You had better believe the whole world was speaking evil of Noah. But he persisted. And he persisted knowing that it wasn't true, that that this doesn't mean anything coming from the world, but my faith is in God. I care what he says and what he thinks. Notice in that same chapter of 1 Peter In verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ. Reproached is a Greek word which means to find fault in a way that demeans the other. That's Arton Gingrich's definition. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is Glorified. We need to understand something from that verse about these evil reports about us that people are giving. That on their part, Christ is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. You see, it can be easy for us to take all of these evil reports and people speaking bad about us and, and slandering us behind our back, and we can take it personally. And I think sometimes we take it personally because we are so intimately associated with Christ and our faith that we do take it personally because we're one with Christ. But when it comes down to it, Peter said, on their part, Christ is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. They're blaspheming Christ. We need to maintain perspective. It's not about us. It's about Christ. He's the one that's being slandered. He's the one that's being persecuted. It reminds me of when Israel demanded a king in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 4, how disappointed and offended that Samuel was. The people came to him and said, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And the thing displeased Samuel when they said that to him. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Notice this, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. That's a not but statement, which really means they have not merely rejected you, but especially they've rejected me. And so it's not that we're not being spoken evil of, we're not being maligned, we're not being mistreated, but we got to have the perspective that God's calling us to have there, that he called Samuel to have. They are rejecting me, God says. They are blaspheming Christ. The reason why that perspective is of such great importance is that if we take it personally, we're going to be a lot more likely to respond in sin. You see, when Paul was maligned and evil was spoken of him, he received many evil reports about himself and people were spreading those those gossips and rumors, he didn't react with vitriol and vengeance, but he reacted in a humble manner because he had a perfect example. Consider 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That was Paul's example, and it's our example. Paul didn't react in sin because he didn't take it personally. He took it as an attack on Christ. And he remembered the words of Jesus in John 15 that if they persecuted me, Jesus said, they'll persecute you. It really isn't about us. And we should understand that it's Christ that's being mistreated in this way. And so when we react, it should be a reaction that Jesus would have. He didn't revile in return. He didn't return with threats. What we need to do is what Peter instructs in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. In the New American Standard Bible, it's rendered, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Doing this will allow him to control our actions. And instead of taking things personally and reacting in sin, we're going to act as Christ acted. Because we know, even though those in the world are giving evil reports about us, that really our report is good. And there's going to be a lot of people in the faith, in the church of Christ, in the body of Christ, that acknowledge and see our faith. They see what we're doing. They see that we're not living like the world lives. And and they're going to be encouraged by that, and they're going to acknowledge it. That's what Paul did. He acknowledged it in the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, he said, "...you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word." In much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. He acknowledges their faith. You see, maybe people are speaking evil of us, but there's a lot of people who recognize that what we're doing is the truth. And really the only report that matters is the report of God and that he sees what we're doing that is righteous, good, and according to his will. Back at the first chapter of 2 Corinthians with the charge of duplicity received by Paul at the very end of that he more explicitly demonstrated that what he was doing was not duplicitous but was actually for the benefit of the Corinthians. Notice what he said in first in 2 Corinthians 1:23. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. You can hear what those false apostles are saying. You can think it yourself, but God is my witness, is what Paul is saying. And certainly, he was doing nothing wrong. That should be our perspective. That second part of verse 8 that we're looking at This episode is as deceivers and yet true. There's some similarities to it, but consider that as we live for Christ and we proclaim his word especially, we'll be labeled as deceivers even though we're true. What we're saying is true. What we're doing is true. As we proclaim the truth, those who are blinded by error may label us as deceivers. Consider the deception that people thought Jesus was giving when teaching about his resurrection. After his death in Matthew 27 and verse 63, there were those of the Jews who said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. And so they wanted to guard his tomb lest 
the deception in the end be greater than the one in the beginning. But it wasn't deception. Romans 1 and verse 4 says he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was never deceiving anybody. He was speaking the truth. You know, this happened frequently to Jesus. In John 7 and verse 12, it says there was much complaining among the people concerning Jesus. Some said he's good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. He was called the deceiver, yet he was the truest man who ever lived. Jesus pointed out the problem in that same chapter, John 7 and verse 16. He answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Essentially what he's saying is that if you really want to do God's will, if that's what you love, if that's what you really want to be practicing, then you're going to be able to see that my will is only God's will. There is no contradiction between the things that Jesus spoke and the Old Testament under which he lived. The Jews rejected him, though, claiming that he was deceiving the people, when in reality he was simply speaking the truth in fulfillment and in expounding upon the scriptures that they loved so dearly. And he was calling their attention to their own self-deception, their own hypocrisy. If you really want God's will, and you really know God's will, believe God's will, and want to do God's will, then you're going to know that my will is the same as his will. You see, people are going to call us deceivers because what we're saying isn't in line with what they believe. But what they believe is what the devil is telling them. The God of this age has blinded so many people to the truth. And because they've believed a lie, when we tell the truth and live the truth, they will tell others that he's deceiving you. I'll give you an example. We preach, and rightly so, that baptism is necessary for salvation. Consider 1 Peter 3.21 that there is an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's plain and simple. But those in the denominations don't believe it. They believe salvation by faith only. So if we quote that verse, even though it's right out of Scripture, they'll say, he's deceiving you. You see, that man over there claiming that you've got to be baptized to be saved is really preaching a salvation by works, by merit. He's deceiving you. Don't be deceived by him deceivers, and yet we're true. That's not what we believe at all. We don't believe we're earning our salvation by baptism. Actually, we believe we're saved by faith, just not faith alone, but that that faith must be shown by works, and that's exactly what baptism expresses. It's appealing to God for a clean conscience, the removal of sins. In Colossians 2 and verse 12, we're shown to be true by preaching baptism as an act of faith for the remission of sins when the Apostle Paul worded it this way, that we're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Just like the Israelites had to have faith to pass the Red Sea and God to defeat the Egyptians for their sake, we have to have faith that God's going to dece- defeat sin, wash us from our sins, and make us alive again. And we show that faith by submitting to his command, not to go forth and march through the Red Sea, but to be baptized. They're going to call us deceivers. But again, 
We've got to maintain perspective. We're not the ones being attacked. God is. We're not going to be the ones that are being called deceivers. Ultimately, God is. But His Word is truth, and it's eternal. His Word is what matters. And so we need to take courage and encouragement from such a paradox, both of evil report, but by good report and by deception, yet we're true. Because the world does not see what God sees. They'll only see what God sees if they take off their blinders and look honestly into the truth. All we have to worry about is living faithfully. And if we're saying what God's Word says and we're doing what God's Word says to do, then we have nothing to worry about because even though they may be giving evil reports, really our report should be good, and it is from God. Even though they call us deceivers, we know that we are true, and God knows what we're saying is in accordance with His will. The Apostle Paul had to live through it. Jesus had to live through it. All Christians must live through it. We'll continue this study of profitable paradoxes next week. I hope that this study was of benefit to you, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.